0: We started a series probably six weeks ago called You Asked For It. You Asked For It was where we started with the subject of fear and we investigated what the Bible said about a subject and we took two weeks and talked about what the Bible said about the subject of fear. While we were teaching on fear, the congregation got to uh, participate uh, digitally by uh, voting on several topics. And we were going to take two of those topics and we were going to do two weeks on each one of them. And the topics, the two topics were flesh versus spirit. And we took two two weeks to describe how God wants us to be led by the spirit of God, which certainly cuts down on the crisis in our lives when we're navigated by the emotions of our flesh. And then the last subject was one I really didn't know what I was getting into, to be quite honest with you you said, I wanna hear what the Bible says about forgiveness. And to me, if you ever have a friend that says, I'd like to know what CityGate is all about, uh, point them to the app and let them listen to the three sermons, including this one on forgiveness. Because the first Sunday we took and we said, well, what does the Bible say that forgiveness is? And to us, a lot of times we start to weigh what things have been done to us And what we've experienced and the offense and the hurt. And we sometimes become negotiable of whether, and we make forgiveness optional. That if somebody does something that's bad enough, we have the right to not forgive them. The problem is, is the Bible says something completely different. The Bible literally says that, you know, it's in one of those great passages. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Remember the part in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Well, when we say amen, the Bible continues. And the next two verses, the only thing that Jesus reiterates in His own teaching about the Lord's Prayer is the part about forgiveness. And He says, if you don't forgive, the Heavenly Father cannot forgive you. Now, how many of you need God to forgive you? I know I do. Can you say amen? So that makes forgiveness a command, not an option. And then last week, uh, one of the most powerful altar services we've had in a long time, almost everybody, almost 100% of participation, when we asked, uh, when we started seeing what the Bible said, forgiveness was not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You're not going to forget Forgiveness is not pretending that it didn't bother you and suppressing the thing that really hurt you. uh, Forgiveness is not justifying bad behavior just to get over it. No, forgiveness is the supernatural power of God to be able to deliver you. He is greater than the offense and deliver you from the pain of your yesterday. And I have a scar right here, and I told you the story of how I got it, but it don't hurt anymore. what God's expectations of you are in forgiveness he wants you to take him to that place where the wound happened so it won't hurt anymore now so I went to the staff and I said you know what I think I'm gonna need one more week on forgiveness I think instead of two weeks I'm gonna do three and I'm really thinking about um, doing a, a sermon on the power to forgive ourselves and lo and behold, I got an anonymous, this is, this is blank, it's not the one, I kept, kept that in my office. But each and every week we have time for prayer requests on the back of these cards. And someone anonymously, so I don't know if you were in first service or you're here in second service. But they said, Pastor, we are so glad you are, are preaching on how to forgive ourselves. Because I was the offender and the person I need to apologize has since passed. And I thought, Wow. What's the Bible say about that? And we're going to investigate today the power of God to supernaturally enable you with the strength to live going forward instead of looking behind you and that you can have the power with His forgiveness to forgive yourself. So can we pray and jump right into Scripture today? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for every opportunity you give us to come into your house and to worship you. I give you praise, honor, and glory today. I I thank you for what I saw and experienced in first service. And Father, I believe that the same Holy Spirit is going to move upon the hearts of everyone here in second. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Now I'm going to warn you. Today, we're going to push you right to the edge of being uncomfortable, of remembering your greatest mistake, your greatest sin, and the thing that you wish you could either undo or unsay, but you know deep down it's impossible to go back in time. We're going to walk you right there because what we have to start with is, do you realize that everybody, including myself and including men and women of the Bible, have a past? That each and every one of us have those things that we wish we could unsay or undo. We have those regrets. We have those moments where we wish that day wouldn't have happened. And that day changed all of our lives. And, And some of us have found the forgiveness of God, but don't know how to really transition that forgiveness of God of giving us peace within our own self. See, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I am so glad it didn't say for the uh, good people uh, uh, You know, it's been reserved the glory of God, but it literally tells us all of us have been the sinners, the offenders, all of us, not some of us, not the majority of us, but all of us. That means that every single one of us in this room have had to move to a place either with somebody or something or God and Said, hey, I have offended. Amen? And so now the Bible comes alive. Because have you ever wondered why the people God chose in this holy book weren't holy? You say, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, remember that guy named Abraham? The Bible calls him a liar. Yeah, the man that God cut covenant with. Yeah, he lied. Remember that story when pressure was applied and he thought that his wife was so beautiful and he was in Egypt and and all of a sudden the pressure was being applied. He thought he was going to get killed and they were going to take his wife. He made up this whole story, a lie about his wife being his sister. You say, well, pastor, it was half true. She was like his half sister, third removed by a cousin on his mother's side. Well, that's even worse. That's called deception. That's using a half-truth and creating a falsehood to deceive somebody else. But how about David? You know that guy, you know he had an affair? You know that he participated and conspired to have a man killed? Do you realize that he wasn't always the greatest of parent, but yet God still used him? Matter of fact, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. We're going to learn how that is even possible. Oh, wait a minute, how about the ladies? You know what, there's ladies in here that were prostitutes and God restored, transformed and redeemed their lives and chose them. But the one I really want to concentrate on this morning is the, what later would become the Apostle Paul. But when we meet him in Scripture, he's known to us as Saul. Saul. See, Saul came from wealth and privilege and he had been educated and was part of a religious sect, a, a, a real religious sect called the Pharisees. These Pharisees thought that they had accomplished more in righteousness and holiness than any other group of people on earth. And they kind of looked down their nose at people and judged them harshly because they didn't think that they were as righteous or holy as them. Well, Saul was that guy and he was a young man in this group of people and when the Bible first mentions him, he is a young man holding the coats of the men, the older men, the Pharisees stoning uh, Stephen. And we see him there and Stephen does something remarkable that even goes beyond the wildest of imaginations. He's literally getting, he's preaching the gospel, they get so angry, they assault him physically, drag him out of the city and are going to stone him and end up stoning him and while they're stoning him, he's forgiving them. It's something that this man named Saul could not escape. How could somebody that is being uh, killed by such a tragic thing literally die in peace, the Bible says he went to sleep, saying, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was that vision when he saw Jesus was reminded of what Jesus did on the cross and he forgave them why they were killing him. And this young man, he is, he is just holding the coats in. Pure confusion because somebody could forgive and die in peace. By the time you reach him in the second time that the Bible starts to mention his name, all of a sudden he is is older, he's a little more mature, and now he's a religious zealot. He's full-fledged. He's probably a good man doing bad things. Listen to how the Bible describes him when you meet him for the second time. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord... Look at your neighbor and say, threats and murder. That's not good, right? That's not good. That, that's against one of the one, main ten, you know, thou shalt not kill. Yeah, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, Saul not only was present at the death of Stephen, but Saul was, again, probably a good man, just confused and doing bad things. And he would be transformed by the power of Christ Jesus. And he would literally go from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. It happened on the same road where he was carrying those letters. It was the Damascus experience. And I I get colorful in Scripture. Sometimes I have a vivid imagination. And so I'm going to read the Scripture in its purity the first time, and then I'll kind of add to and kind of color in rabbinically of the story. It says this, now as he went on his way... He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. See, I I got a vivid imagination about this. He was riding an animal, a horse. And right in the middle of the road, as he's riding, he's just... Hanging out, man, doing his thing. All of a sudden, the light—the sh- Bible says the light shone—and I believe in the middle of that light shining, Jesus jumped up invisibly, did a spinning back fit kick and kicked him off of the horse putting him on his back and he said brother my name is Jesus the one you are persecuting and I just want to know who you, I want you to know who I am and he said now I am wanting you to get up not only are you blind but you're gonna get up blind and you're gonna go into the city and I've got some work for you to do now that's my version let's stick with the Bible's version how about but can you imagine we know the story in just a few minutes we're gonna talk about his redemption But think about this. Most of us when we get forgiveness of that greatest sin, that greatest regret, we don't have to go back to the place that that happened over and over and over again. Saul was fixing to be asked to be an apostle. And every group of Christians that he would walk in, he was probably responsible for the death or imprisonment of their mom, their dad, their aunt, their uncle. He was responsible for the deaths of the people he would literally end up ministering to. How would you like to be confronted with that kind of guilt, shame, and be tied to the past of who you used to be? See, sometimes the Bible comes alive in a modern way. See, we're going to finish talking about Saul becoming Paul. But before we do this, we have one of our very own that's going to share... A testimony about the darkest day of their life and a day that they wish they could relive. Let's play it.
1: Hi everyone some of you know that my name is Gray and this is my amazing wife Shelly and but what most of you don't know is that part of our story that we're going to share today it has to do with what I would consider our darkest day.
2: Both Gray and I were raised in Christian homes, went to Christian schools. We knew right from wrong. Actually, as a young adult was entrenched in the Bible. I I was, I was had an intimate relationship with the Lord from high school on.
1: We were high school sweethearts. Yes. And we grew up in high school together. And pretty much our families did a lot of stuff together. and uh, And that's where we fell in love. Our romance days were very much often on a lot and uh, <laughs> there was not a lot of healthy uh, days in our, um, in our relationship. And so, um, so that's a big part of our story is that we grew up as high school sweethearts.
2: Gray and I became very physical and began sleeping together, which first thing I said I'd never do, like openly vowed and made commitments to my parents and my family, first thing. Well, the consequence of that was that we got pregnant. And what we did was try to hide that from the world because it's sad to say that in today's culture that is a little washed and there is the lines of holiness and acceptance of what is right and wrong have been blurred a little bit and we accept things, but back then, we would have been shunned and looked down upon and probably treated in an ungodly way. Um, So we decided to hide it and had an abortion. So I personally, the only thing I've wanted in my life is kids And um, people would ask me what I wanted to do. And to this day, my goal is to be the best mom in the world. And now I get to be a Nana. And I'm doing really good at that too. But, I lived in an environment of torture. I would have nightmares. (laughs) I... I was riddled with shame and guilt. Um, Didn't sleep well. Almost lived in a little bit of a fog. And, uh... I will remember the day... I was standing... I was actually up in the choir. And I don't remember what the message is about. Probably forgiveness. (laughs) And... The Lord just got a hold of my heart. I went and grabbed a mentor in my life who has since gone on to be with the Lord. And I took her to the back and we went in a little hallway and I confessed my sin to her. And a pastor that I was under for many years says that many times confession is possession once you stop hiding things and confess them, they no longer have that same hold on you. And that is literally what happened to me. Without even fully knowing, this Baptist girl in that hallway at a Baptist church received deliverance. This woman laid her hands on me and spoke in tongues and prayed over me and instantaneously through her God Begin to lift that off of me, but that was just the first step. Now, by this time, we're married mm-hmm. and have another baby. Um, sometimes, when I'd look in his face, I would think, you know, what if? Um, wonder what this child looked like. Was it a boy or a girl? Did it hurt? Did I? cause pain so all these thoughts were processes that I had to walk to walk through but God we've been very careful to share a story because a lot of the people that we have ministered to over the years are much younger our concern was that they would see this um, and this is really good because of God. We are blessed. We have seven healthy, happy, God-pursuing kids that we don't deserve, but God. So I want you to know that to this day we haven't forgotten. I think you can see that by our tears. But we are forgiven. And we walk in the freedom of that forgiveness.
1: Because this is a story about love and forgiveness and redemption. I battled with my own demons. I didn't have the nightmares like Shelley did, but my demons came through. I was the one that convinced her to do this. I was the one that talked her into it. Um, so I had to live with that. And like she said, the, the guilt and shame. So with a few people that I've shared this with, one of the things that I tell them is that I've always been able to really relate to King David in the Bible. Many of you know him and you know his story. And you know that King David was, um, had an adulterous relationship with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. And she ended up conceiving and be a, being a child with his child. And so instead of uh, David trying to make right with the whole situation, um, the crazy part is, is David didn't go and kill him himself. David <clears throat> had him killed. Um, very similar to our situation in trying to hide our sin. And as years passed, I realized that my greatest enemy in all of this really wasn't Satan anymore it was me that I just could not forgive myself and I remember sitting alone with the Lord one morning praying and just asking God because I felt like on a regular basis I had to go and ask God to forgive me for what what we did and I just felt like the Lord, a a very gentle whisper, said, I forgave you a long time ago, and I can give you the strength, and I've given you the strength to forgive yourself. And if my forgiveness for you is good enough, then you should be able to walk it out. And I will say, forgiveness is a process, forgiveness is a journey. In our situation, it wasn't about us being the uh, being offended or being abused. We were the offender. We were the abuser. And um, and that was very very difficult to get to overcome. But because of the power of the gospel and what Jesus has done for all of us, yes. we can sit here today liberated and free. Um, we still walk out this process of forgiveness. Revelation 12 says that uh, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So today we have shared our testimony with you and hopefully believing by prayer that God will liberate you and give you the freedom that you need to be able to forgive yourself for whatever whatever you have done in the past. God does not judge us on our weakest moment. He does not judge us on our greatest failures or mistakes. He loves us. He forgives us. And I encourage you today that if you are walking a similar path that Shelly and I have walked, that you ask God to give you the strength to forgive yourself.
0: Most people get satisfied with a correction of morality, with the power of Christ Jesus and the power of the gospel. They now want to receive a portion of forgiveness, but don't realize that the transformational power of the blood of Jesus can do more than just forgive you of your sins, it can give you a calling. See, Pastor Gray and and Shelley were not just called to become Christians. They were called to be pastors. This was after their greatest failure. Well, the same thing, do you realize the same thing happened to Saul of Tarsus? He gets knocked off of his animal. He goes blind. He goes into a city. And the very man God is going to use, his name is Ananias. This is how he speaks to him. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the gentiles and kings and children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name see the power of god can take a young couple that went through a day that they wish they could undo and unlive and make pastors out of them he could take a man that was a murderer and a zealot a religious zealot self-righteous and harsh in his judgment and make an apostle and him write 13 books of the new testament See, Paul is the one that gives us the understanding when you realize what kind of past he has. When he writes Romans chapter 8, by the way, my second favorite chapter in all of the Bible. Psalms 34, number 1, Romans 8, number 2. And Romans 8 starts this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit of God. Can somebody say amen for the fact that He says there is now therefore no condemnation. There's nothing in our past that can conquer the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And then he even goes further. Before Tim Tebow, you know, put Philippians on his, uh, you know, under his eyes, the scripture was already made famous by a man that used to be a murderer. And he says this, Not that I have obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Can somebody say amen? I'm going to say that again. Because Christ has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of of us who are mature think this way. That if anything, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. And what Paul was saying is, as brothers and sisters, I am a man that could live the rest of my life gauged and, and judged by the rearview mirror of what I used to be and what I used to do. But because of Christ, He has come into my life, not only set me free from the bondages of my sin, but gave me the power not to look in the rearview mirror, but to look now through the front windshield and press forward, not just to be a Christian and be saved, but to be called. See, I think that's where we mess up, is we aren't using the right weights. See, we think, you know, this white rock... We, we think this is like the goodness of God and the mercy and the, the grace of God. And so we know it's significant and we know it's really heavy. So we put this on the scale and the scale kind of tilts this way and we really get satisfied. And then the enemy really, you get this moment at the altar where you feel like you could put hell out with the water pistol. And then by the time you get to the car... The enemy's already remembering, letting you remember your past sins. Here's where we mess up on the scale. We start to give credence to our wickedness that it literally can have the power to overcome the goodness of God. And so we think that things like this, if you've ever said this, you're the people I'm preaching to. Well, God couldn't forgive somebody like me or the church would fall down if somebody like me come in it. Or I just don't don't want to be a hypocrite. I've done all of these things. It's because you're trying to give too much credit and weight to what you did wrong instead of really valuing what he did right. And so we start naming our sins and it starts to add up. And we say, oh no, I can't be this and I can't be that. I've done all these things. And, And then all of a sudden the scale of our life, looks like this and God's goodness is way up there that we never can obtain and all of our sins drag us way down here and if we keep pressing towards this over here we call ourselves hypocrites it's because you're using the wrong weights it doesn't look like this at all this is what it looks like here is God's goodness and grace and the power of the blood of Jesus and so he takes the scale of all of your unrighteousness and he ties it to the goodness and the mercy and the transformational power of the gospel and all of a sudden when we try to re- say well, well no wait a minute God you, I know you're really good but I've done all these things I'm here to tell you that the power of the grace of the transformational gospel of Jesus and the power of the blood could take your sin your sin your sin your sin your sin and every sin on the face of this planet pile it up in a mountain and and one drop of the blood of Jesus could obliterate it and change the scale. All of us, there is nothing, nothing that we should be holding on to in our yesterday that is we have, have valued more than the blood of Jesus. He just didn't make you heaven ready. He made you earth worthy. He made you a, a vessel like Paul to be an instrument used by God to reveal the glory of God because you know what folks there's no perfect people and imperfect people are looking for imperfect people that have been transformed by the power of God to give them hope that you don't have to die and go to hell because of what you've done that you can't go undo but we being the people of God can say yeah I remember being just like you but then I went to a cross that was bleeding with a blood that was different than any other man on earth he was the son of God and he gave me a new start because of the power of his blood and the authority of his resurrection and because he's alive I can be alive Amen. and Paul says think this way man I'm his and he's mine and what I used to do I'm letting go of every day so I could look more forward to what I'm going to become more like him tomorrow now We did this in first service, and I'm going to ask for the altar team. I'm going to ask us to set it up a little different. And if you'll bring that over here about this place, and let's put a couple over here to pray. Maybe some of you need to have that prayer that Shelly described that she had in a hallway, and let's put that kind of right here, and maybe uh, Nikki, you, and Ian maybe could stand over there for the prayer team. And I don't know who we want over here, but whoever it is, whoever's a part of the prayer team can... Come up and be just in case you need that special prayer. In your seats, a piece of paper and a pen. What we ask you to do is take that pen and put your greatest sin your greatest regret, your greatest mistake. And then I want you to fold it so nobody can see. And I'm going old school today and um, uh, even Pentecostal. I'm gonna go old school Pentecostal on you. We used to use terms that if you weren't in the church, you didn't understand. And we've tried to be more mindful of that. But there's a term we used to tell people, just take it to the altar. Just leave it at the altar. Take it to the blood. Let's cover it with the blood. Well, inside of these pit- these bowls is a water that's not the blood of Jesus, but it symbolizes the blood of Jesus today. It's just water and red dye, red food coloring. And the piece of paper in your hand, it dissolves in water. So literally you're going to put it and why we ask people to do that is because if it stays on top sometimes it just doesn't break all the way apart but while somebody's stirring that it just goes and disappears. Because we wanted you to see what happens to your sin when it is confronted with the blood of Jesus. It literally disappears. And so can you imagine so what we're going to do is Amy is going to lead us in a moment of worship while you write. You could put what the sin was. You can put a name like that brother or sister that wrote us that anonymous uh, card that said, I want to ask forgiveness. Maybe you could put their name, and that's going to be the way that you're going to say you're sorry and as you put it in the blood of Jesus. (coughs) Maybe you're going to put initials. Whatever it is that you decide is going to be your greatest sin, your greatest transgression. We're going to bring it to the altar today in just a moment, but let's worship.